Welcome to the second episode of the Anime Explorations Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Alex, K- Alex Case, and I am joined by... I'm David Stark. And I'm Taurus Stark. And this is a monthly anime book club style podcast where we watch an anime series or movie and talk about it. Um, and one of the things that I forgot to get into in our first episode, because it's a first episode and these growing pains are expected is to appropriately give credit where credit is due for kind of the influences of the podcast. Um, I kind of have two big ones. Uh, one is the uh, Manga Splaining podcast, which is hosted by Deb Aoki and Chip Zdarsky and David Brothers and several other people in uh, comics and um, manga as well. And part of the premise of that is most of the hosts of that show, like Debayoki and uh, David Brothers, are longtime fans of manga and anime and or have worked in translation and localization of anime and manga. And Chip Zdarsky absolutely positively has not, but he is an accomplished comics writer. And so that led to things that um, that's, he brings a different perspective there. The other one is the Next Lander Watchcast, which is hosted by Alex Navarro, Brad Shoemaker and Vinnie Caravella, which is them um, watching movies and TV shows and talking about them. Often of them being ones that some or all of some or most of them haven't watched before. Usually Alex Navarro's watched them, but Brad and Vinnie haven't so much. So uh, to get into that, um, quick talking about our own background with anime and manga. I got into anime when I was in middle school. Um, watching Cartoon Network's Saturday Anime Block, not whole episodes of stuff, but parts of it, um, as well as reading an article about anime in, I don't know if um, uh, David or Tor, if you remember 321 Contact Magazine, there was an article in 321 Contact Magazine about anime, like a one-page thing. Um, I remember that it had Nadia from Nadia of the Secret of Blue Water, uh, featured on there, which I think had just been licensed at the time. So that was a pretty new work um, in terms of getting making out the U.S. And it finally gave me a name of, oh, that's what this thing is that I like. And I've been more or less watching anime either from the library or streaming or uh, from the high school through bootleg means um, ever since. Um, David, do you want to give your background? Um, well, I started watching anime fairly young, thanks to, uh, Robotech, though I didn't know that was anime at the time. Um, I just remember, I just remember, like, it was so much better than, like, the Transformers, because it was, like, this ongoing story as opposed to just one and done every episode. Um, but, yeah, but... 
after that, yeah, just Cartoon. Well, not even like even before Cartoon Network. There's you know like early morning Sailor Moon before heading off to school, and then after school the Toonami block, Dragon Ball Z, and the like, and just keep going from there. And were you? Oh, go ahead, Tor. Yeah, Sailor Moon was my gateway. Although, um, when I was a very little girl, um, Totoro was one of my favorite movies. The original dub of Totoro, um, which my dad rented for us on the strength of it just being a cartoon. Uh, (laughs) And many years later, I was able to connect that back to anime when I got into anime proper through Sailor Moon and Toonami. Um... Luckily, my parents were very much in that school of, if it's a cartoon, it's for kids. So I would go to the video rental store when such things existed, and I could rent pretty much any anime that I wanted, as long as I wasn't watching it directly in front of them. Um, so I saw a lot of things, probably younger than I should have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, Mermaid definitely. Scar, for instance. <laughs> oh, Mermaid Scar. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, and then in high school, um, same as you, Alex, it was very much the era of you get it where you can get it because there wasn't a lot of imports yet. Um, although that really started to pick up by the time I graduated from high school um, in 2004. Yes, you graduated yeah. in 2004. <laughs> I'm old, guys. <laughs> we are all a bunch of, as they say these days, old taku. Uh, so... Before we started the pod, doing the podcast, were you still actively watching anime or had you kind of fallen off a bit? I was still watching anime in a very curated fashion because what happened was we went from watching everything that they sent over to the U.S. to being which, oversaturated um, because they started sending over everything, which don't get me wrong, is pretty great. Um but like in any medium, there are there are good examples and bad examples. And I got a little burned out on bad anime after a while. And so I would only watch things that were recommended to me by friends. Yeah. yeah and, and then we had a kid. So and then we had a kid and that just slows life down, guys. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, although, although I do very much still uh, when our son, like shortly after he was born, uh, we had to make sure he was we were feeding him every two hours. So we had a really interesting schedule where one of us slept for eight hours and then we had like four hours together and then the other one was sleeping for eight hours and then four hours together. So I had the night shift with with, with our son and uh, I, I watched a lot of anime just with him sleeping next to me, waking him up every two hours to feed him. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Yeah, t- to this day, uh, Lu- Luke has a very positive reaction to the Yu Yu Hakusho theme <laughs> because he heard it as a, as a tiny baby a lot. Because I watched that entire show over that over those first few months. So typical oh. '90s kids, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> so. Um... Quick bit of business before we get started. The usual engagement request of, we have an email address now. Like, we're a real podcast that has an email address. Um, So, for if you want to give your thoughts on this episode or thoughts on the show that we'll be doing next time, uh, you can send them to AnimeExplorations, all one word with two E's, at gmail.com. 
And also, of course, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice that you're listening to it on. It really helps. Yeah. And if you want us to review an anime, um, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Let us know uh, if you've got requests. Uh, definitely. Um, within a certain degree of reason, we have to be able to, to get it somehow. Um, but we will do what we but We will do what we can. But, yeah. Well, we will probably not be able to get to Silver Spoon because of that, <laughs> despite it being perfect. It's not easy to get anymore. Unfortunately, yeah. Same with Monster. Um, for recommendations, keep in mind where this is a monthly show. So if we're if it's going to be something longer, we may have to break it out over a couple months. So again, if if we do Monster, for example, that's a longer <laughs> one. Let's get into today's show, Boogie Pop and Others from uh, the 2020s. Um, the Japanese title is Boogie Pop Wan Warunai, which basically means uh, Boogie Pop Doesn't Smile. And this is based off a whole bunch of light novels. This is kind of one of the first, in fact, Boogie Pop and Others was kind of one of the big, first big light novel series of, like, sort of ever. The first volume came out in 1998 and had 23 novels uh, cut out in the series. And so, yeah, this was actually 28... Uh, I think it was 2018 when, this sh when the show came out. Yeah, and... Oh, sorry, 2019. So basically the 20th anniversary, more or less, of the, of the uh, novel publication. And if Boogie Pop rings a bell... Um, but not this particular series. There was a spin-off series called Boogie Pop Phantom that came out in the like early two thousands. That was a spin-off of the show and featured some or of the novels and featured characters. But it was very much a side story. There was also a live action adaptation of the first novel in the series, um, entitled Boogie Pop and Others, uh, which. I have not seen. I don't know if I if uh, Dave and Tora either of you have seen it. Nope. No, but I, I feel maybe having perhaps seeing something that was a proper adaptation might have helped explain the series, because um... yeah. So the the novel or well, the the film version also was because we're talking early two thousands. This was all pretty much shot on digicam kind of thing. Um, so. So sometimes it's referred to as shot on shitio. Uh, but it it has that digital digicam look to it uh, for it. On some cases, also the uh, footage being shot by the actors in the film. So it may be a bit of an acquired taste in that situation. Honestly, anyone who's seen a film a film student project, you you know sort of roughly what you're getting and getting into. <laughs> All right, so um. Uh, the recent series, the one that we watched today, adapts three of the, four of the novels: um, Boogie Pop and Others, the first novel; um, Boogie Pop versus Imaginator, which is which came out in two parts; uh, Boogie Pop at Dawn, which is basically an origin story 
and then uh, Boogie Pop. Um, I forget the name of the last novel. Um, I think um, Boogie, Pop, uh, Boogie Pop and the King of Distortion um, was the uh, fourth and final novel that's adapted here. Um, also, I have um, I watched this when these this, these episodes when they first aired. And then I went and read the novels. So this is my first time coming back to them after having read the book. So I can kind of talk about them from that perspective. Um, David Tora, what were your initial thoughts on the show? Well, I, I only very distantly remember uh, the original Boogie Pop Phantom. And I'm not entirely, and I don't, I don't actually think I saw all of it. I might've just caught an episode or two, but I can let you know that I was very confused in this series. I don't feel it did a good job explaining things. For the first half of the series, and even then it didn't do a great job in the latter part, to me. So this show, I feel like, is more concerned about um, tonality and feeling. It definitely has a vibe. Um, and it yep. is it is exploring a lot of interesting issues and questions... But in such a way, I feel that the actual, like, plot, what's going on, because it is not so concerned with plotting, it's very easy to get confused. So you you end up just kind of cruising along on the vibe. Um, and then, it, like, as the series progresses, you kind of start to slot things into their places in the timeline, because it does skip around a little bit within episodes, as well as across the series over these kind of four stories. Um and and what you come away with is less a sense of a concrete story that was told to you and more of kind of this feeling of unease and unanswered questions, which I don't dislike, um, but it is um, a little bit different from your typical um, offering, I would say. Yeah. Um, if there's a theme to the show that I took away, it was deal with your trauma. <laughs> Because pretty much all of the characters, well, not all, but the vast majority of them are revolving either around their individual trauma or the trauma of others around them. Like many, many of the antagonists, hesitate to use villain, but definitely antagonists in the show are concerned with helping others either deal with their problems or changing these people so that their problems are no longer holding them back either by messing with their memories or um actually helping them yeah and this becomes outright stated in the final story with the king of distortion yeah. um but all along the show is really good at showing you how kind of the placid normal exterior of people and places and things is actually a lot stranger once you start to probe into it. And I do praise the series for the interiority of the characters um, because I didn't feel like any single character was left to be just that normal guy over there. You know, like everybody had interiority and as David said, specific issues and traumas to work through. And even if that trauma was something like I was mean to my friend right before she died and I never got to say I'm sorry, 
you know, that kind of deeply personal thing can change your whole life. Um, so I thought the series was great at exploring kind of the interiority of the characters and how that reflects in their behavior to everyone else and the world around them. Yeah, I just, I feel it had a difficult time tying that into an actual story. Like, there was a lot, well, I can't say there was a lot happening, but there were things happening and there were these people dealing with them, but it didn't, to me at least, it didn't really mesh together as these events are affecting these characters in this way. It was more these things are affecting the world and these characters are living in that world being affected by it, but it didn't connect. Yeah, what one of the things I thought about, I, I picked this show because sort of our Halloween candy in the freezer um, show because we did our introductory episode for October. Um, and when I was watching this, I, was, I, I thought in my head, oh yeah, Boogie Pop and others is a horror series. And to bear with this, when uh, Crunchyroll did a list on their website of, oh, here's a list of horror series you should watch for uh, um, Halloween alongside stuff like Another and um, Helsing Ultimate and that sort of thing, they included uh, Boogie Pop and others. And on the one hand, while there are a couple stories with characters that are monstrous and killing people, um, Boogie Pop and others has the Manticore. Boogie Pop at Dawn has uh, the Fear Ghoul character, um, who are two characters who are definitely killing people in horrific fashions. Um, but related to that sort of sense of things happening around you and impacting you and not necessarily having control over them, I had this kind of thought about this of like, there's a concept on TV tropes of the adult fear, of not just like, um, a, a fear of somebody's going to attack you or stab you or that sort of thing, or primal fear, but like, oh, something's going to happen to a family member that I want to protect and I'm powerless to help them or that sort of thing. And Boogie Pop and others through um, sort of, sort of semi-antagonistic force going through the series, the ambiguously described Toa organization, um, I guess we call, again, do I call it young adult fear, which is the realization when you like in, in getting into middle school or high school of, oh, adults are just as fallible or in some cases even incompetent as I am. And when they screw up and they do, and they will screw up, the task, the consequences can be dramatically more pronounced and I may not necessarily be able to do anything about them. And that I think fits in with that sense of dread that the show kind of really does a good job with where a lot of the biggest threats in the show to an extent, again, Manticore, Fear Goal, even um, at the, uh, the end of the series, um, not the King of Distortion himself, uh, themselves, but the um, character who built the tower wherein the events all take place are all entities created by or consequences of the actions of the Toa organization that went completely out of their control and caused shit to hit the fan. My understanding is that the series is actually kind of a stealth sci-fi series in a way, because one of the stories is about an alien being who came down to earth to judge humanity 
he was captured by this organization and he's the reason that they're able to make augmented humans and monsters like the manticore which was a clone of this being and drugs like the ones the fear ghoul used to become well the fear ghoul um but it, it doesn't go into this too much which i think is a good thing like the show just leaves it as these very dark forces kind of just beyond the edge of your understanding that abruptly show up and ruin your life. And <laughs> I agree. I think that's very much a fear that you start to come to grips with as a young adult, um, as a high school student, this sense that there is so much that is outside of your control. You have to just react to it the best way you can, because that's all you can control is your own reaction to it. Um, and in this sense, I find Nagi to be the most interesting character um, because her reaction to being exposed to these things as a very young woman was to kind of turn herself into a superhero-esque character to keep other young people from experiencing the effects of this dark other world. And so I, want, I wanted to see more about her, but we actually didn't get enough time with her for my preference. <laughs> she Well, she's very much what... In, like, a shonen, an action anime, she would be the protagonist. But this isn't that kind of story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I think if they went that route, it would be pretty good. But also more generic. Yeah. The, yeah, there's... Yeah. It's, I mean... Sorry. <laughs> it's also interesting that for a show called Boogie Pop and Others, definitely the, the sense is much more on the others than on Boogie Pop. Boogie Pop is not the protagonist of this show. And it's interesting where the where we character characters where so quick explanation of who Boogie Pop is is Boogie Pop is both a urban legend and a person. The urban legend is Boogie Pop is this mysterious Shinigami, this reaper who people think will come and get you when you're at the peak of your beauty or whatever. But no actually it is the alternate personality of a uh, young, perfectly normal high school girl, seemingly perfectly normal high school girl named uh, Toka Mayashita. Um, and when weird crap starts happening, um, Toka manifests the boogie pop uh, personality. Probably the closest comparison, the other thing comes to mind, something that I had not seen and was not familiar with necessarily when I watched the show originally, but was familiar with now. Boogie Pop is kind of Moon Knight? Well, I, I don't think so, exactly, because, like, we see at, you know, in Dawn of Boogie Pop, Boogie Pop looks different, so it seems that she's less of an alternate personality, or at least the way I understood it is more of a possessing force, and so... Yes, the show leaves it ambiguous as to whether Boogie Pop is some kind of supernatural entity or if um, Toka just has dissociative identity disorder. Because um, that's certainly what some of the people think. Or what's going on. And that contributes to the sense of, you know, I don't know what's going on. Obviously, the characters don't know what's going on. What is going to happen to them? Um, that sense of dread that we've been talking about that builds up. Because we don't even know, like, what the protagonist of the show's deal is. Like, <laughs> and you said they're not the protagonist, which I agree with. Title character. But the title character. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, yeah. 
one of the useful things mentioned also is Boogie Pop and Toka, while it's the same voice act, same voice actress for both, they speak differently. Um, Boogie Pop is more masculine. If you're listening to Japanese dubs, she uses the or he uses rather masculine pronouns for himself, personal pronouns for himself, because that's a that's a thing with Japanese. Um, and whereas Toka talks like a teenage girl, and it also does have the bit of the the Batman Bruce Wayne voice effect there. Uh, which makes for a few interesting things in a couple scenes where you have a couple characters, like you'll have Toka and Kazuko during an episode of, during part of the versus Imaginator arc, where like walking along a berm and talking and Kazuko brings up some stuff that she's observed about what's going on with, she's, she's picking up some stuff about uh, Imaginator. And then Toka, just in the middle of conversation, switches to Boogie Pop voice, drops a few lines in and then switches back to Toka like nothing happened. Yeah, and and um, it's explicitly stated that Toka doesn't remember anything about what she does as Boogie Pop or when Boogie Pop takes over, however you want to think of it. Um, she just carries the outfit around with her in her sports bag without even kind of realizing that she's doing that. Um, so I don't know if that's evidence toward Boogie Pop being just a facet of her own personality or... <laughs> well, except like towards the end um she didn't have her bag with her like there was that you, there was the view there was the rushing view of the cloak and the hat and then it passed by her and then she was rushing too toko was rushing too so yeah so the show leaves it kind of an open question if boogie pop is their own entity the, the show i will say is very concerned with issues of identities specifically ones that are brought out by and repressed by personal traumas um there's a definite undercurrent of pop psychology that runs throughout this whole show yeah which, which is both good and bad like i do feel like the show is trying to get at some very interesting questions and make you think about things in an interesting way um but then some of it can feel a little bit reductive and um you know, specifically, I really like the fact that every character in the show has an interesting internal landscape. You know, everybody goes through their own issues, their own traumas. It's just that normally you don't see that because it's all under the surface, right? And so this show uses kind of the lever of the supernatural to make everyone show these different sides of themselves, which I think is effective. It's just that sometimes you're not sure if the show is doing this for a specific message or if the message is becoming muddled. And there were times where I felt like it was really trying to get at something deep, but it wasn't quite getting there. <laughs> and that could be translation issue. I'm not saying it couldn't be. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of I, I felt it had a lot of the uh, Evangelion Christian imagery thing of is it there to advance the story or is it just there to kind of look cool? And yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily help. Like this, since where I was mentioning this show was semi-contemporaneous or the, the novels rather were semi-contemporaneous with Evangelion um, in like 97, 98. And uh, that's what I was mentioning. Like they update the technology in the show, but it 
doesn't feel like it messes with the show any, particularly because it helps that, like in the like in the late '90s, early 2000s, Japan kind of adopted cell phones a lot faster than the U.S. and probably also Europe did, um, and so elements of the sort of pop cult of the youth culture within the show within the original work regarded to people with cell phones and or text messages or that sort of thing carries over well um to this um i mean arguably there's the problem of cell phone cameras are better now so theoretically it's possible that someone could get a good picture of boogie pop but otherwise um that worked really well. Like that part carried over well. One of the things I was mentioning is not only does the show kind of talk about like sex and sexuality a bit, a fair bit. There's a character who is um, strongly implied like to be a repressed um, young man, a young man who's grappling with his homosexuality um, in the uh, Boogie Pop versus Imaginator arc. Uh, also, like drug use comes up, and that like almost never comes up not just in like anime but like a lot in japanese pop culture um there was the actor this one actor who was in sponsored the yakuza games who got caught with less than a gram of cocaine and basically not quite unpersoned but kind of unpersoned in the japanese entertainment industry Yeah, I will say that for all the supernatural elements, the the world of these characters did feel real and lived in, um, in a way that I appreciated. I think especially because it was a series of stories as opposed to one long continuous one like some series are, um, it was cool to see the same locations come up again. And even in some cases, we would see the same scene come up again from different perspective or um, kind of a different time frame, but the same kind of thing going on, but from someone else's um, point of view. And so it all felt very consistent in that way, which I appreciated <laughs> because I was trying to put it all together in my head the whole time. And I was just like, okay, okay, that's this, that's this person. And they're doing this with this person. And this person had this trauma and this person saw this monster. And yeah, there's a bit of a puzzle put together aspect of watching it that I kind of enjoyed. Well, that was certainly, even though it was a little frustrating. <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely the first arc where each episode is covering the same amount of time, but it's doing it. But each episode is covering different characters through that period of time. Like, yeah, first episode ends with uh, Boogie Pop telling the boy, is like, well, I'm, I'm done. Threat's over. And he's like, but you have no idea what the resolution was because he wasn't there. <laughs> oh, one other fun thing here. Um, I almost didn't want to forget this is, um, so like in certain like other franchises popped up in the anime culture recently with because it's gotten, because it actually started having its own new anime adaptation about the same time. Like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, there are a lot of music references in this show, um, including some remarkably deep cuts. Like in Versus Imaginator, there's like some like deep level Prince references in there. Um, like there's the obvious ones of the main like location for the climax of it is called Paisley Park. Um, which is pretty straightforward. 
And there's a recurring motif in there of... The characters' names too, right? Camille yeah. and Spooky Electric? Yeah, Spooky Electric, uh, which uh, Camille, I, I knew Spooky Electric, I was not familiar with um, as far as the uh, Prince reference. And also the Sometimes It Snows in April um, bit, uh, recurring theme uh, um, motif in that storyline, which... Um, so a couple years before, a year, a couple years after this aired, um, and we recorded this, we had snow in April in Portland, um, yeah. the Portland area. So I did get, <laughs> end up going on social media and basically be going, God damn it, Imaginator. <laughs> <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> ah, yes. Not that. <laughs> Shoveling the sidewalk. That that was not something I was expecting to do in April. <laughs> but I finally got to use my snow shovel. Global warming is a, is a facet of climate supernatural change. activity. Climate change. Well, yes, overall climate change. <laughs> probably, like, going into this from reading the novels, probably the bit that, like, I was interested to see how they handled it was actually with um, um, King of Distortion. Because King of Distortion in the novels, there's a, a couple recurring pieces of music that are playing constantly over the course of that. In the episode, they are semi-generic rock tracks. In the novel, they are two specific tracks. Custard Pie and Cashmere off of disc one of Led Zeppelin's... Um, physical graffiti album um which which causes the end of the episode and to a certain degree that the concept of the tower to have a bit more where the episode where the story is set to have a bit make a bit more sense because the password that helps unlock everything more or less is stairway to heaven which admittedly is the wrong album but the right artist right artist Big leadhead over here. I can say with certainty that Kashmir would have uh, would have improved that episode because it improves everything. Um, but yet yeah, Zeppelin is notoriously leery of licensing out their tracks, so I doubt that they even tried. <laughs> but it would have been awesome. <laughs> it, yeah. I did like that the 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 King of Distortion. Um, the distortion was represented by this music and that kind of fuzzing and pixelating of the screen. So you had visual distortion, audio distortion, and emotional distortion was what was going on in the characters' headspaces. Oh, I needed someone to play Kozilek, the great distortion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to Magic the Gathering too, I'm sorry. Uh, one other thing I'll say is um, I, I really enjoyed how the the antagonists as david said i wouldn't necessarily call them villains all the antagonists had very clear motives and they were very well fleshed out as people like you understood them all i think the most unrepentant villainous one was the fear ghoul but i mean she started out kind of a normal person and then injected herself with some experimental drugs so we don't know how much of that personality shift was the result of the drugs um i mean it's standard <laughs> batman supervillain origin that's true but the king of distortion i felt particularly drawn to because um he was trying to get everyone to 
to overcome their own trauma, but he couldn't see into his own heart and deal with his own trauma, as Biggie Pop points out at the end. And so I feel like he was kind of an interesting way to look at the series as a whole, as um, you can kind of hand wave the supernatural elements if you wanted to as outside forces over which you have no control. Because I think the what the show is really trying to get at is how you react to them and how you manifest your trauma in ways that add to the world rather than ways which threaten it or do harm to it and to others. And from that point of view, that was my favorite arc, even though there was a lot of other stuff going on in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the Great Distortion arc was definitely... I want to say the narratively the most satisfying... As opposed to Verse Imaginator, where it's all just handled real quickly and shoved under the carpet, so to speak. Well, no, there are so parallels we... there to the Great Distortion as There well. absolutely are, in that... Because the, um, the character who could see people's souls or hearts manifesting as plants couldn't see his own. So it was kind of the same idea there. I'm not. I'm just saying. Great distortion was felt more satisfying, yeah. whereas Imaginator felt very rushed at the end. A little bit. Yeah. Um, it also like helped that the we had a like as far as we're feeling like a big climactic um, story arc. Um, King of Distortion did have the big set the the, the big set piece of the uh, uh, fight versus um, Zaragi. Yeah. With, with, with Boogaloo going, well, I've never fought a kaiju before. First time for everything. <laughs> um, the monster showed up and I was like, hey, you're not Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close, though. <laughs> but I, I actually also loved that idea that um, this little boy's trauma was manifesting as a kaiju. That actually made perfect sense to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, during that bit where they're, you know, hiding from the kai, you know, from the kaiju, I just flashed right to that same bit in uh, Pacific Rim where they're hiding from the kaiju, having to. <laughs> uh, in Mako's memories. And then the kaiju, like, tries to manifest and become real, and Boogie Pop has to stop it, which was interesting although a, perhaps a little bit of a deviation from what was actually going on <laughs> mm -hmm. but it was fun to watch yeah whereas by contrast with the uh climax of verse imaginator we do have a big fight um with uh boogie pop fighting um a bunch of people in mascot costumes which i liked the idea of the of the wearing the mascot costume as protection against uh way protecting some martial artists like protecting yourself with plush <laughs> yeah I I, I I laughed and I was like yep no that that's actually not a bad idea I mean use what you got and you're in a theme park so you got costumes the versus imaginator arc was also a little bit uncomfortable for me because of Camille or or Aya whatever you want to call her um the way that character was handled and mm -hmm. it just the way that this character was constantly beat down and degraded and told she wasn't human and then slut shamed for doing what she was essentially ordered to do, had no choice but to do. Um, 
I mean, I'm so glad that it ended happily for her. But as a woman, that was a little uncomfortable for me to watch just because I've seen that sort of thing on a lesser scale in real life. And it's never good. And, you know, literally calling someone inhuman doesn't happen that often. But treating someone in that way, unfortunately, is common. And it's never it's never comfortable to watch. And to see someone who has literally no sense of their own self-preservation because they've had that beaten out of them just hurts, you know? No sense of their own self-worth. Yeah, no sense of their own self-worth. Yeah, so like, that was rough. <laughs> I, I probably would say, like, as much as the fear ghoul is one, is one of the clear, like, overtly villainous characters, Spooky Electric definitely, if not being equally villainous, is certainly a close second. Um, I, I think I think Spooky Electric was definitely he was the one I hated the most. Yeah, he was definitely <laughs> like an outright villain. I mean, there's like his motivation is he hates everything because he knows what he is. He's he was artificially made for a mission and he hates that and he's going to take that pain out on everyone. Once again, someone not handling their trauma well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is also another good metaphor for what I said before. Like, it, he's an augmented human. He has this electric power. But like David said, he chooses to use that power to take out his frustration on everyone around him. And... Most of us don't have superpowers. Probably all of us don't have superpowers, but we choose what we can do with the gifts and the abilities that we have. And we can hurt people or we can help people. Um, so I think at the core of the series, it's kind of asking that question. Like, what makes someone a threat to the world? Is it how they have weaponized their trauma? Is it their good intentions being used toward bad ends? You know, what does threat to the world even mean? And how does how does that criteria work for Boogie Pop when she shows up to defend people from this kind of threat? Because a lot of the antagonists are sympathetic or they think they're doing something right or helpful. Um, and in the case of the King of Distortion, Boogie Pop even agrees. Yeah, you're not my enemy. You're not doing anything particularly <laughs> why do you think, bad. Why, why do you think I'm your, <laughs> why do you think I'm, you know, I'm your enemy? <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, in the case of the King of Distortion, you can't force someone to confront their trauma because that... Um, I mean, he was trying. He was trying, <laughs> but I like he had like one success out of that entire building full of people. <laughs> that we saw. He had one success out of, you know... People have uh, to choose to confront their trauma and make something good out of it. The kid was like... Uh, he straight up told that. Oh god, I cannot remember that kid's name. Uh, the Masaka. dark Masako. Yeah, it was like it's it's you know how do I get out of here? It's so easy. And he's like, oh, and he just runs and finds the spot in the imagination where his body is, and you see him oh, just then wake up. Person. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm terrible with names. I, I meant the child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously I was thinking about it and thinking about it in preparation for this podcast because it is a show that makes you 
consider these things, which yeah. is its strength, I would say. Yeah, and worth noting, we have not touched on that, is it is an incredibly well-animated show. Oh, absolutely. This it's Although, that being said, the tendency of people in the mid-range of the camera to not have faces was somewhat jarring. I think if they had been a little bit more consistent with that, it would have added to the atmosphere, but it's a little bit selective. And so you're like, wait, why do you suddenly have no face? <laughs> like if it was just like the background characters, but like the the main characters still got, you know, had their faces, you know, it would be, it would add to that sort of thing to the theme of, you know, the alienation of other people, the you're isolated, everyone around you. But no, it was just sort of, it, it was not handled well in a consistent manner. <laughs> Which made it obnoxious for me. <laughs> yeah. This show did not, I will admit, get a much of a big buzz among anime fans when it came out. I think to a certain degree, part of this is because of the impacts that the novels had at the time and how much they influenced other works that had a bit more impact when they landed here because they did land here. Like I'm thinking of things like Serial Experiments Lane, Welcome to the NHK. Uh, that sort of thing, uh, which are also similar works about societal disconnection. I'm assuming you're, I, I don't know if you're familiar with either of those shows, um, where it was just societal disconnection and that, and coping with traumas and that sort of thing as well. Um, and, and what, so where, so we got, we're getting these stories like 20 years after they came out in Japan and made a big impact and inspired all these other authors. And then we get the works that have been at the time, got the works in dialogue with it. And then we're not getting the actual original stories until much, much later. That's a good thing to point out because a lot of the themes that I saw in this show, especially relating to the question of what is a human, what is humanity is humanity a thing that's worth saving from a cosmic perspective? Those are themes that I've seen crop up in countless animes over over my life. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't really give us an answer. I'm not sure there is an answer to those questions. There that... is an answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's highly individualistic how you choose to answer that. What is a human? Yes, yeah. but you know, what? What is a human? There's a lot of ways to answer that, but parent, but <laughs> going by the show, the answer was everyone. Everyone is a human, which is a good answer. It's a great answer. <laughs> Even the monster from outer space is relatable. <laughs> monster from. Echoes. I'm, I mean, echoes. He he like he was he wasn't a monster, but he was this entity sent to Earth to judge humanity. So from that point of view, it was kind of like okay. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> You've seen our good side and our bad side. Now what? Unfortunately, I am un incapable of taking the I am sent here to judge you seriously, due to the Venture Brothers. <laughs> Curse you, Venture Brothers. <laughs> And God, what was that episode? Ten minutes to midnight or something? And their alien judge is like, "Do not pay attention to me." 
<laughs> Ignore me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't look at the wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed revisiting the show again. I, I'm glad I watched. I glad I watched it when I first time first did. It's fun to come back to it one more. To come back to it again, particularly having read the novels and watched Moon Knight and various other things before then, and having additional lenses to view this in. Would you say that it was more fun on rewatch? Um, a bit, yes, actually. Like particularly, mm -hmm. like considering, like con contrasting the books with the show, where, um, like. The show handles the shift in perspective, or the the, the shift with Boogie Pop, um, Boogie Pop and Toka is so much better because you have a voice there, as opposed to on the page where it's translated text and you're not necessarily getting the pronouns because that's not how English works, um, and that sort of thing. That actually reminds me, um, did you watch the dub or subtitled? We watched the dub. Watch the dub because that's what was available on Crunchyroll. Okay. Um, how did the? I mean, the sub might be, but it wasn't the first one that came up. Sub was on there as well. Um. So, how did you feel about the um, the voice acting, both in general and kind of for the Boogie Pop and Toka transition? Um. I felt that it that. It didn't do a great job at differentiating characters, and also due to the fact that, uh, due to at least early on, most people are wearing school uniforms, uh, the show did not do a very good job at differentiating its characters, at letting me be able to tell, okay, that's that person, that's that person, that's that person, and that a lot of the characters felt very samey due to the fact that they had very similar haircuts, very similar hair, hair style or um, hair colors. Uh, the designs were not were not that differentiated. I mean, there's like four characters who all have long dark hair, and f I mean, it's anime. The faces look very similar, so the only way to tell them apart was through voice or through you know specific hairstyle. And since it was just like three different lengths of hair of haircut that's all long and back i had a bat I, I i i was not very able to tell them apart so i was like oh no this person's dead and they come in the room oh i guess that was somebody else <laughs> i also had a hard time telling characters apart at least initially um and i think part of that is my own americanness my own kind of american racism with not being able to parse the japanese names so well don't get me wrong, I really appreciate that they use the characters' actual Japanese names in the dub. I think that's great. <laughs> but my English-speaking brain was like, okay, which which one is this? <laughs> but I, I thought the voice acting was good. I really enjoyed um, Boogie Pop's voice, actually. The only thing I think American fans should be aware of is that we're, we're really missing out on that pronouns game. I was just thinking of Boogie Pop in my head as a she- because it was obviously um, the same voice, but an extremely different manner of speaking, which the voice actress pulled off really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, she did a great job. But no gosh, we, we really do need better pronouns in English, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, it's not that we need better pronouns. It's that we need a, you know, we need a dialogue that 
every time that individualizes your pronouns every time you're speaking instead of just i it's i male adult mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah this is why in english you have to ask everyone what their pronouns are <laughs> there's otherwise no way to tell but i don't think it ever comes up in the dub that boogie pop identifies as male so that just if if it did, it went completely over my head, but I'm pretty sure it's never mentioned. <laughs> All right. So uh, if you are interested in our converse- conversation, uh, want to watch the show, it is currently available for streaming again on Crunchyroll. There also is a Blu-ray release of it, which is available on um, Right Stuff. And since we're getting into the holiday season, it's probably going to end up on sale. Um, just a reasonable guess that it's going to be on sale. And so probably will be the novels. Gotta hit those sales. Speaking of things that are also probably going to be on sale, but are in keeping for the uh, uh, next month for December, um, in keeping with the holiday spirit, we're going to be doing a blast from the past. One of the fun things that's kind of tweaked, happened in the anime industry over the past 10 years. We've been getting lots of fun old stuff that was not licensed previously or had been licensed, but was never really distributed well. And that's what we're talking about next month. We'll be doing the movie Nutcracker Fantasy, which was put out by a stop-motion film made by Sanrio in the late 1970s. Um, This film is both um, available in uh, Japanese audio and um, with the English dub on Retro Crush, and has received a Blu-ray release from Discotech Media. So you can pick it if you, want, if you prefer it physical. Um, you can get it that way as well. I believe the English dub also features the voice of the legendary Sir Christopher Lee, if, you want, if you're going dub on this one. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Good old Count Saruman himself. <laughs> Well, and I went to art school really quickly for everybody. Um, I know a lot about the differences between Western animation and anime, but for stop motion, I have no idea. So I'm very interested to see. <laughs> All right. So you can look forward to that next time. And if you have any questions or comments, either about uh, Boogie Pop and others or uh, for um, Nutcracker Fantasy, then uh Go ahead and send those to our email address. Once again, that is animeexplorations at gmail.com. Thank you very much for watching or listening or however you are doing this. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening.